All right, so we're in a series, a four-week series, um, where we're, we're talking about the um, Jesus. We're talking about Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. And the first week, three weeks ago, we talked about Jesus was, and we talked about who Jesus was prior to being born, to, be, to coming in human form. And what Andrew taught us from the scriptures was that Jesus was involved in creating all things for his own glory. And so the second person of the Trinity has existed always, and he was eventually born. And so we then talked in the two weeks ago about the fact that Jesus walked on earth. He's fully man, fully God. His divinity connects God to us. His humanity connects us to God through the cross of, that he was murdered on, crucified on. Then he was raised from the dead, which gives us the hope of new life. Then last week, we talked about where is Jesus right now. And I told you from the scriptures that Jesus is right now at the right hand of the Father, interceding on your behalf. He's reigning as king, interceding on your behalf. Well, today I want to talk briefly about the truth of the scriptures that tell us that Jesus will return. Jesus will return. So uh, you know what is six months ago tomorrow or six months ago or six months in the future? Christmas. Isn't it crazy? We're six months into the year from Christmas. And, and at Christmas, you know, it's the celebration of the first coming of Jesus. And so today we're talking about the second coming of Jesus, which is very exciting. Uh, let me ask, there's, there's quite a few kids in here. Let me, kids, kids, pay attention right here, right here, right here. Listen to me. What happens whenever you know someone special is coming to your house? L like what if your, your favorite teacher was going to come over to your house? What happens? You can tell me, speak out if you're a child. Or a grandparent's coming over. What, what happens? What, what happens around your house? Thank you, Joe. Yeah. You, kid on. you clean up. That's right. Do you clean up? Like when your grandparents are coming over? Lincoln's saying, no. Kristen. Where's Kristen? She may want to get. Anyway. Um, when somebody special is coming over, like your grandparents or or maybe if your school teacher was going to come over, you clean up, you get ready, right? You get prepared. If something exciting is going to happen, like someone that you love and, and, and you really are excited to meet is going to come over, you get the house ready, right? You get, you get things put in order. In our house, every Sunday night, we have a group of people coming over for our loop group, which is our small groups that we have as a church. And the way it goes around our house Sunday afternoon is we're all hustling to get things ready. We're getting the house picked up. We're putting things in order. We're cleaning counters. We're talking to each other. I'm giving a little speech to everybody about how they ought to behave when people come into our home, you know, um, and, and, and we're just getting ready. Well, let me tell you something. The Bible says that Jesus is coming and we ought to be ready. Jesus is coming and we ought to be ready. The main idea, the thing I'm driving after today is Jesus will return May we live ready as God's people zealous for good works. Jesus will return. He says it in John chapter 14, verse 3, and I talked about this last week. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. So this idea of the return of Jesus means that on this day, today, we're in between the time, according to the scriptures, that Jesus came as a baby and, the, and we're in between that day and the day that he'll return. 
the day of his first coming and the second coming. That truth ought to stir our hearts. That true, uh, truth ought to stir our hearts. And uh, my fear is we don't live with enough of an urgency in our lives believing that Jesus is going to return, and it could be any day. And the reality is, and this puts it all in perspective, within 100 years, Jesus will return or all of us will be dead. Aren't you glad you came? Aren't you encouraged right now? And so we want to think about what is it like to live with this truth in mind? And how can this encourage us? Now, the first time that Jesus came, how did he come? Kids, this one's for you too. When Jesus was born the first time, how did he come? As a baby, that's exactly right. And where was he born? Extra donut for Lincoln right here. Extra donut for Lincoln. He is on fire. He was born as a baby in a manger. Jesus, when he came the first time, he was born as a humble servant. He lived on the earth. In fact, he lived almost 30 years of his life before anybody even really knew. I mean, before his ministry was even public. And sure, there's, the scriptures talk about a few things that happened early in his life as a child. But the majority of his adulthood years, uh, there's not much talked about in the scriptures until he's about 30 years old. And then uh, there's a whole lot talked about him. But he was born and, and lived as a humble servant. But you know what? When Jesus returns, listen to this. When Jesus returns, he's going to return and it'll be visible, sudden, and glorious. Everybody say glorious. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says these words to the Thessalonians who are unsure of what it's going to be like in the end. Sarah read this so beautifully. She, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. I mean, that sounds pretty awesome. And Paul is actually talking about something that he knows to be true, inspired by the Holy Spirit to say, but it's also been said by Jesus in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus is speaking. He's talking about the end times, and here's what he says. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. And this sermon is not about all the things that are going to happen in the end times. And there's some debate among scholars as to what order things are going to happen in. And here's what I think is the most important truth for you and for me to believe about all of it. Jesus is returning. He's going to return. And our lives ought to be lived in perspective of that. Matthew chapter 24, verse 29, again, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven and the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man, Jesus, coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And if you remember last week, I talked about in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, uh, it's, you know, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses. And then that Luke, the author of Acts, says that Jesus ascended into the clouds or onto the clouds. And, and here uh, we see that this is how he's going to come back. I don't even exactly know what it means, but it sure does sound awesome. Verse 31, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the earth to the other. Jesus is returning and it's going to come in power. It's going to be visible and sudden and glorious. Paul also tells the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, uh, he says, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So when is it going to come? We don't know. It's uncertain. There have been people in history who have predicted the return of Jesus and been wrong every single time. But the scriptures are quite clear that Jesus is going to return. We aren't sure when it's going to be, but it is going to happen. 
Jesus even said that. Look in Matthew chapter 24, verse 42. It'll be on the screen. Therefore, stay woke, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the thief, what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not let his house be broken into. Pay attention, he's saying. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Be ready. So we live in the days between the humble incarnation and the glorious return of Jesus. Three things, if you've missed them, here they are. Jesus will return, it will be sudden, and we must live ready. Look to your neighbor and say, live ready. Every godly person since the ascension of Jesus has believed that Jesus would return in their lifetime. And this is good. So in the story of uh, the gospel, the good news of the Bible, the story of who God is and who we are and who Jesus is and how we're reconciled to God through Christ, prior to the cross of Christ, all of history just directs itself right to Jesus and the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. But since then, it's, it's like Jesus is near to us and can physically return to us at any moment. We're to live our lives as if Jesus was going to return soon, because he is. How would you live your life differently if you knew the end is near? Uh, on January 13th of this year, you might have heard about this. Uh, there was something in really quite remarkable and scary that happened in Hawaii. There was a, a message sent out to all people on their smartphones. It said this, ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. Now, I know this story to be true because Kristen, her brother, was in Hawaii at the time living there. And so I've heard this story through the, the eyes of family members who were here talking to him, they got a message saying that there was a ballistic missile threat inbound. And for 38 minutes, they thought that the island of Hawaii was about to get pounded by a missile. 38 minutes, people began to think about their lives in a way maybe they haven't in a long time. The end is near, they thought, maybe. How would you live your life differently if you knew the end is near? Now, some of you are starting to feel like anxious, like, oh my gosh, if I, you know, I might die or, or things bad might happen. No, that's not the place we're going to go on this. Instead, what we want to do is think, how would I live my life differently if I knew Jesus was going to return soon? It begins to put things in perspective. Well, after 38 minutes, there was another message sent out that said false alarm to those that lived in Hawaii. And apparently somebody hit a button. I've seen several different stories, like accidentally hit a button or I'm like, would you like to be that guy? You know, how was your day at work, honey? Well, you know, I hit the wrong button. <laughs> the return of Jesus is near. How does that impact the way you think about your life? I don't know about you, but it makes me think, okay, what in my life is, is getting my attention, my emotion, my dollars? That really doesn't matter beyond this one. How am I spending my 
relationships? How am I spending my gifts, my talents? That, I, that maybe I would do it differently if I really believe that the return of Jesus is near. Well, throughout the New Testament, there is a strong sense among those that are Christ's followers that Jesus will return in their lifetime. And it's actually been a strong sense or a strong belief for 2,000 years since then, which makes me believe that we all ought to live in the same way. It helps put things in perspective. Jesus will return. May we live ready as God's people zealous for good works. In one place, the Apostle Paul is telling Titus how to minister with this with this, uh, with this idea of, in mind. And it's in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. So I want to just camp out on this for a minute, and then I'm going to begin to bring this to a close. So in, Paul, in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, Paul is telling Titus to, to teach sound doctrine. He's instructing Titus to teach sound doctrine. And the sound doctrine is the true gospel. So there's lots of messages that are floating around out there about how a person uh, ought to live and who is God and and, and how they can find contentment. And Paul is telling Titus to teach the true gospel, which is this. God is holy. We are not. We're separated from God because of our sin. But God has made a way through Christ for our sin to be forgiven. And if we repent and place our faith in Jesus, we will have our sin forgiven and be reconciled to God. That's the good news of the Bible. All right. So Paul's telling Titus this. And in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, here's what he says. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. So this is the true gospel. So you may be here wondering, okay, what kind of church is this? What do you teach? This is the kind of church that teaches what the Bible says, and that is that all people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, that Christ died for us to have our sin forgiven, for us to be given new life. And you can chase after all kinds of other gods. You can allow other idols to crawl on the throne of your lives. But the one that you were made to worship is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and his name is Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the good news of the Bible. Paul's telling Titus, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, which is what I've just described. And here's, here's how we're to live, okay? So just something to think about with the gospel, knowing that Jesus is going to return. Verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Here's what Paul is telling Titus. And did you notice the part in there in verse 13 where it says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ? That's the return of Jesus he's referring to. So here's how we're to live as we're waiting for our blessed hope, the return of Jesus, our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. We're to be godly people. Be godly people. What does it mean to be a godly person? Well, Paul gives a little definition here. You renounce ungodliness. So to be a godly person, you, you don't be a not godly person. <laughs> it's really good English. You renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. You live self-controlled and upright. The, the rule of our day is this. 
you ought to be able to do anything with whomever, however, and however often you want to. And if anybody begins to try to put boundaries on you, then they're limiting you or they're being unloving to you. That, that's the cultural norm today. That's the message of our day, of the world. That's not the message of the gospel. The, the gospel says that by God's grace, we're able to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. We're to live self-controlled. And so it's not actually a prize of our lives to be able to just do whatever, whenever, however often, and however much we can or want to or can afford. No, there's actually something to this idea of like being self-controlled and being upright. I mean, the grace of God is free to you. But there is with that a call to obeying the gospel, obeying God. You can't just live however. If you believe the grace of God has appeared and brings salvation to you, then you will then begin to understand what it means to live a godly life and to, and to uh, renounce worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the pre present age. What is an area of your life you have a hard time being self-controlled in? What's an area of your life you have a hard time being self-controlled in? What's an area of your life, if you were to stand before God, if you were to return right now, you'd say, ah, I'm not too proud of that. If Jesus was to return and he was to say to you right now, this is an area of your life that needs to change, what would it be? Why in the world would you wait to have that thing changed? Is it how you spend money? Is it in your relationships with a future spouse or other men, other women? The way you work? What is it? The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our God, great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify him for himself, a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So not only are we to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, we're also to be the kind of people who are zealous for good works. So it's not just about not doing something, it's also about doing something that you're called to do. How will you live knowing that Jesus is going to return? What is that truth saying to you about what you should stop doing? But also, what is that truth saying to you about what you should start doing? What does God put in your heart that's a good thing to do, that reflects his love in the world, that you've been hesitant to do because you're insecure about whether or not you'd be successful? Or maybe you've been putting it off because you're waiting till you get stuff in order, school or money or whatever. And there's certainly wisdom to be had for that. But what is the good work that God has for you that he's calling you to and you know it, but you've been hesitant to do it because you really live with the sense of like, oh, I kind of have as long as I want to. No, Jesus is going to return and he's going to return soon. How does that impact the way that you choose to live? What's he called you to? Has he called you to go somewhere in another part of the world to share the love of Christ with people in the third world? 
Has he called you to walk down the hall at your office to, to minister to somebody that offices near you that's going through a hard time? Has he called you to use your gifts to teach others, to encourage others? Has he called you to reorganize your finances so that you can obey him in your giving to the ministry of preaching the gospel that happens in the church or in other places? Has he called you to participate in helping the marginalized, the orphaned, the the homeless, the, the hurting? What is it for you? Why would you not do it? You see, I've got all time in the world. No, you don't. Jesus is going to return. It is near. And here's the beautiful thing about this section that Paul tells Titus. And what I want to say to you, and then I'm going to make this a last point. Is that it's not just you alone, but it's us together. You see, we started this church seven years ago because there was a group of us that believed that this community needed another church that could clearly talk about Jesus and could reach people that didn't already have a church they were going to. And at some point, we felt an urgency about it. And so we stepped out on faith And here we are seven years later, seven and a half years later, and we have hundreds, maybe even thousands of stories of people whose lives have been transformed by the gospel that's been preached out of this church, not just by me, but by everybody that's been a part of this church. Somewhere along the way, we live with a sense of urgency. So even as we think about the next step, and we believe God is directing us to a new location, not just because the seats are more comfortable and the AC will be colder, which will be absolutely fantastic, but it's because we believe that this is the next step and what God wants us to do because he's urgently working through us to introduce people to Jesus that don't know or already know him. So it's not just you who gets to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. It's not just you who gets to do a good work. It's us as a community of faith. We get to do it together. In fact, one reason I've not listed off a lot of things that would be considered ungodly and worldly passions is because, you know, the best way to discover what in our lives is ungodly and is a worldly passion is to do it in community, knee-to-knee in a small group. This actually isn't the best environment for me to say to you, you know, this is an area of your life where that's very ungodly. The best environment for you to experience that not is one-on-one, but it's in the group. So we together get to, to stir one another to, up to love and good deeds. It's like what the author of Hebrews says, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together. So this is why we get together. This is why we're moving our location. We're going to continue meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. We know Jesus is going to return. You you may be new to this church, or you you may be new to Christianity. You're like, dude, this guy's a freak, man. Is he predicting that Jesus is going to return this week? And um, it sounds strange, I know, but the New Testament is quite clear that the 
we're not promised another week or two weeks or three weeks. Jesus may return or we may not live beyond these, these days for another reason. I, I don't want to have any regrets. Do you? How will you live? How will we live knowing that Jesus will return? Let us be a people zealous for good works. Let's think on and pray about these things together.